Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal of this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we have another exciting audit duel. I have the honor to have as my guests, Robert Berry, also known as the Audit Guy, and Kadir Abdul, Internal Audit Manager at B2V. Welcome, gentlemen, to the podcast. It's an honor to have you both on. Robert, you proposed the duel, and your proposition is audit recommendations are useless. So just I'll go over the rules really quick here for the benefit of the audience. Robert will start. He'll have three minutes. Kadir will have three minutes for his opening statement. Then Robert and Kadir will have three minutes for a response each, and then each will have two minutes for their closing remarks. So with that said, I will let Robert start on audit recommendations are useless. Robert, your time starts now. Thank you, sir. Audit recommendations are useless. And let me explain what I mean by that. The purpose and point of an internal audit function is to help organizations identify risk and then to evaluate those risks to ensure that controls are in place to mitigate those risks. So in a nutshell, we help organizations identify problems. Now we may or may not be able to find solutions to those problems. And when we do start talking about the solutions, we run the risk of ruining relationships and possibly overstepping some boundaries. And let me give you three reasons why. I think audit recommendations are useless. Number one, oftentimes as auditors, we have incomplete information. You see, we're only in an area auditing for a very short period of time, so we may not understand the entire story. So how can we make a complete recommendation when we're working on an incomplete manuscript? The second reason is oftentimes we have unrealistic expectations. You see, we don't know their complete story, which goes back to number one. And so our expectations may not fit their current reality. And the third thing is when it comes to people, if you've studied psychology or relationships, people get better buy-in to things when they come up with the idea themselves. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. When I was young, I used to run track. So I was an athlete and running track one day I was running and well, I couldn't breathe. Something was wrong. Now we knew that there was a problem. After I finished running the race, the coach looked at me and he said, your time was slower than it normally is, markedly slower than it normally is. So that was the problem that the coach identified. One coach came up to me and said, you need to take some aspirin. That's what I recommend you do. Aspirin, why? I don't know. You just need to take some aspirin. Another coach gave some other bogus recommendation. And then the third coach said, you should go to a doctor. Ah, that's a good recommendation, but still not complete. So I go to the doctor. And the doctor tells me, well, you need some amoxicillin, which is a penicillin, a very weak one. Now, I take this penicillin, but I'm trying to tell the doctor I don't need this one because I need a strong one because the weak one never, ever works for me. The doctor tells me, oh, I know what I'm talking about. You need to take this one. So I take the weak one. It doesn't work. I come back seven days later, get the stronger one, and it works. Now, the ultimate problem that I had was that I had seasonal allergies. It took us five years to figure out what the real problem was. For auditors, our number one job is to identify the problem. We don't necessarily have the recommendation because we don't have enough time to allocate and dedicate to that. So recommendations are useless because one, 
we oftentimes have incomplete information. Two, we oftentimes set unrealistic expectations with clients. And three, people have better buy-in when they think of the idea themselves. Thank you. Thank you, Robert, for the, the, the intro. I think before any statement, we, we need to define what is internal audit. Actually, internal audit is about adding value and counseling on improvements. By saying that, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of uh, things and I'm going after them one by one. But the mission of an internal audit is not to do psychology. Okay, we are expecting a lot of soft skills and technical skills, and they are supposed to have, and actually, as an auditor, I can tell you, I'm improving on, on a daily basis. I'm a lifetime learner. So what I can see based on my experience, it's not, we, we can say, I'm not an expert, but based on my experience, I can say, when you audit something, you are giving an independent view. You are, uh, you, you're finding issues. You're identifying a root cause analysis and you're doing them with the OTT. Through this collaborative work, you are able to identify action plan, which in fact are the response to recommendations. And based on my experience, and once again, it's not the same culture everywhere, but based on my experience, I can assure you, if you don't recommend things, you can't do some follow-ups and you can't communicate on the improvement. Maybe it sounds some old schools, but it, that's the way things are done. You are assigned to do some uh, audits. You are going through them with methodology. You are doing your job and you, are, you have the communication part. If you have done your job in a good way, all the points you mentioned does not have to exist. So that's why I think if you are, don't have recommendations, you, at the end, you won't have no audit reports and then no audits at all. So if I am hearing you correctly, the point that you are making is you have to have recommendations because it actually helps to solve problems. Now, here's where I disagree with you with substance over form. As auditors, oftentimes our job is to help coach our clients. And the best way to coach people is to have them actually solve a problem themselves. So once you identify the problem, when they work to solve the problem themselves, it actually helps them work better to finding a solution. And I'll give you a couple of tangible examples. Anyone who has children, if you do everything for your children, they grow up to be spoiled brats. But when you help them to problem solve, they, come, they become better citizens in society. I'll give you an example. Everybody had that game when they were a kid where you had this, this ball and it had a square peg and a round peg. And you would give the child a round ball and the child had to figure out. First, they would try to put it in a square peg. That didn't work. Then when they finally got it in the round hole as a parent, what did you do? You clapped and you cheered them on because they solved the problem. Once they solved the problem, they continued to solve more problems because they had more ownership in the process because they figured it out on their own. When people solve problems on their own, here are five things that happen. One, there's a greater sense of ownership. So now what your clients end up doing is they say, thank you for bringing that problem up to us. Here's what we did 
to help fix it. So now they're coming to you as if you have helped coach them to become a better team. The second thing that happens is they have increased buy-in. Why? Because now they have a better sense of ownership. The third thing is they have an improved sense of understanding. If you go back to the example that I gave earlier about I had to go to the doctor for about five years to figure out what my true problem was, I had an improved sense of understanding because I had greater ownership in figuring out what the problem actually was, the root cause, what the recommendation was. But also people have greater confidence when they figure things out for themselves. When you say, here's the problem that we found based on our testing, and they figure it out on their own, they have greater confidence in their ability to figure out other problems. I have clients that come to me now and they say, hey, you know, here's a problem that we had. And we started thinking, what would the auditors say? And we figured it out on our own. Now, the fifth thing is you have increased collaboration because now what people will start to do is they'll start to figure out problems working with other departments because they're afraid of what might happen if the auditors actually come in. So again, from a psychological standpoint, you create a better environment. You get people out of self-protective behavior where they're trying to be defensive against you, where they actually work with you when you actually allow them to figure out the actual action plans themselves. We present the problems. They present the solutions. Thank you for this, this compliment. I want to just come back to the, the collaborative part. You're saying they're, they're increasing the buy-in part and under, understanding better. I think we're... We, we are saying the same thing. In fact, actually, when I'm uh, doing an audit, I'm already doing this. It does mean I'm not the smartest guy in the room. To be completely frank, uh, an auditor is humble. Okay, if I, uh, I'm assigned, I'm assigned to do the job. Here are the objectives. Can we work together? And are we defining the, the program? We are working on facts, on observations. The, the added value of the auditor is to give an external point of view, an independent and objective point of view. Now, thanks to the data analytics, we can reprocess everything now. We can uh, give tools to understand better. It's a way to make them learn. So by saying that, I'm going into your direction. In fact, at the end of the day, what is important is to create a dynamic of change. Once you have done the dynamic of change, the recommendation, the action plan, the deadlines, and the follow-ups are just the rest of the damning wheel and they're part of the business. So we have to maintain them because maybe in some corporate cultures, you have to formalize things. You know, it depends on the area and the maturity level of the organization. But if you do this job, and maybe the ODT is not taking into account all, all your findings, uh, maybe he's not going to obtain, and maybe imagine another uh, situation. You are assigned by the CEO, and the workers are on the field. Uh, they, they never see them, okay? At the end, you have done your job, you have done it, then they thanked you, but the CEO doesn't have any feedback. So how gonna you how are you going to? I know it's not about promoting your activity, but how is he's gonna uh, justify investments? Because at the end of the day, it's all about the return of on investments. All right. So 
I saved the best for last. So let's break down an audit report. First, you have your issue. Then you have your cause, then your possible effect. Then you have your recommendation. Then you have your management action plan, what they are going to do to fix it. Now, I'm oversimplifying the process, but those are your four simple things, right? Now, our recommendations are still pointless and useless. And here's why. Additional reasons. One, it wastes our time. It wastes our time to write. So here's what I will say. I do agree with you that when you work with the audit client, you end up kind of fleshing out what some of the recommendations are. Now, what I propose is we don't put in a recommendation section because the client will do that in their management action plan. And then it comes all from them. So here's what that does. When we actually take the time to construct and write audit recommendations, it wastes our time. That's additional writing that we have to do. That's additional formulating that we have to do. Now, the second thing it does is it breaks down bonds because it makes it look like we're in the know-it-all position. We've said, here's what you must do. Instead of saying, here's the problem that we found. Here's the impact it's going to have on the, on the organization. Now, they say, here's what we're going to do to fix it. And it actually makes them look like the hero because they're coming up with the ideas in the management action plan. Now, underneath that, it's going to come from the discussions that we've had with them, but it makes them look like the hero. And it doesn't make us look like we're in that I told you so because we're better than you position. So it saves us time, effort, energy, and it helps build better bonds with audit clients to skip that section in an audit report. Okay. Th th thank you for the, this compliment. I completely got them. I'm just going to go briefly give you just a little story. Recently, I, I had uh, issues concerning follow-up of audit recommendations. Okay. I had several external audit recommendations. Deadlines are overdue and some difficulties with management weren't implemented. I tried to fix things with management, with the executive management, and then I raised the issue with the audit committee. Guess what they did? They asked an audit on that. Okay. After the, the audit, it was one of the big four. They just um, recommend some, they gave some recommendations that were already defined in the process. So the root cause was not, the problem was not the auditor. The problem was not the management. The problem was about the implementation of recommendation. I just want you to imagine if there haven't been any recommendation, any written recommendation, you would be able to do to say if the actual organization has improved or not. How do you define continuous improvement? Thank you, gentlemen, for joining the podcast. Great discussion, audit recommendations, audit action plans. Like Kadir mentioned, it's about the dynamic of change and all the great stories from Robert as well on what we can do to make the process better overall. So really appreciate you both being on the podcast as usual. I will let the audience decide on who they agree with. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you.